Today I'm going to be talking about the resurrection. I'm starting a series on the resurrection and I trust that you're going to have a great understanding and that your understanding will be broadened as, um, as pertaining to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you will experience the power of His resurrection. First I want to start off by saying why I want to teach on the resurrection. The resurrection is what I would call the heart of Christianity. It was the heart of the early church. It was what it all revolved around. It was what caused all the political turmoil in that time as pertaining to the Christians and the Jews as well as the Gentiles. And it was what the early church believed the gospel was. The gospel was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel was the message that Jesus conquered sin, conquered death, and that He is King. Not just King in heaven, but King of this world. As what we would think of an earthly king, He is now the King of this world, and that His domain and His rulership is being manifested in this world not by Christians trying to manifest the kingdom of God, but by the Holy Spirit bringing brand new lives to people and manifesting the very life of Christ and the victory of Christ in people. The justice of God and creation meets in the resurrection. And I want to explain to you what I mean by that. The justice of God and creation meets in the resurrection. When we think of the justice of God, we've so many times thought of the punishment of God, but that is not true. The justice of God is the very good that God wants to do to the world and in the world. We need to understand that creation is a good creation. It's not a bad creation. It's not something that God wants to just wipe away and fold up like a cloth and forget about it and bring forth a a place in heaven where there's a heavenly city where we can leave this earth and go and live in heaven. That is not God's plan. God's plan was that justice would be served in the world. And the justice that God had in mind for the world was that eternal life would be in the world. And that man and animal and planet and everything in the cosmos would be under the government of God's love and peace and kindness wherein the spirit of His power does the upkeep and, the, and manifest the life of God in this world. That is what His plan was. Jesus taught us how to pray. He said to His disciples, pray this prayer, Our Father which art in heaven. And then one part there, there says, as it is in heaven, so on earth. So God's plan has always been that His vision for the earth must manifest in this world. And His vision was that His eternal life would manifest in what we would call mortality, in the things of this world, in the people of this world. It even says in Romans chapter 8 that creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. I want to be clear, it does not say creation waits for the sons of God to manifest that they are sons of God. No, the Bible says creation waits for God to manifest 
who His sons are, and that we know is the salvation of our bodies. Not salvation from our bodies, but the salvation of our bodies, which Jesus partook in when God the Father, or when the Holy Spirit raised Him from the dead. So, the justice of God is defined by when we look at what happened in Adam, God had a plan that Adam would come and that he would rule and reign in the earth and that he would have dominion over everything in the earth and that the life that God freely granted him in the garden would ex expand through Adam and through his relationship with God and so fill the earth. That Adam and Eve and who they were and as they were standing in the relationship with God, would flood the earth, that there would be many people like them flooded with the very same life on this earth. And then the enemy came, the Bible says an enemy came, and at night scattered some seed. He came in darkness to Eve and deceived Eve, and then uh, uh, in that deception brought sin and death into this world through Adam and brought destruction and he wanted to destroy the plan of God and God wanted justice to be served. That which he planned the world for, that which he planned man for, he wanted justice to be served and that's why I say that justice and creation meets in the resurrection because when Jesus was raised from the dead, justice was served that which God has always decided and wanted for, um, if I'm going to call it this way, for physicality, for man, was seen in Jesus. And he was called the firstborn from the dead. And he and what he is today is our blessed hope where, unto, where God is taking us to in the Holy Spirit. One might say, and um, and in this message, and you're going to see in the series, I'm going to talk about the resurrection of the dead. And what I mean by the resurrection of the dead is that Jesus Christ was physically raised from the dead, as well as what that would mean for us. What hope does that, that give us as the church? The reason why I teach on this, as I said, is because that was a pivotal point. That was uh, the center or the focus of Christianity of that time. But not just because it was... The, uh, the focus of the church and my preaching on this, I've also found in my own life that a revelation of this is the power unto a brand new life. It actually empowers you unto the fruit of the Spirit. It empowers you unto peace. It actually, literally in your life, brings forth the person and the character of God and we can start to share and be, like the Bible says, a kind of first fruit in this world wherein God starts to manifest and show forth His kingdom in our lives. Again, I want to say, and I don't want you to confuse what I'm saying with the traditional kingdom teaching, where, which is, well, there's, God is a king and there is a kingdom and we are subjects of the kingdom. Therefore, we must now and go and expand the kingdom and we have a job to do because we're part of a kingdom. I don't believe in that. What I believe and what I believe the Bible teaches is that Jesus is the king and that his kingdom um, was placed on the earth in the incarnation, death and resurrection in the earth and that we are now under that rulership like most of the kingdom guys believe. But the difference is this. 
I don't see that we are to try and advance the kingdom by our willpower, but where God comes and He brings forth a brand new life in us where we love and we find kindness and goodness in our hearts, a passion and a zeal to preach the gospel that's born from Him wherein we don't try and rule with Him, but where He rules in us by His doing through a heart that is persuaded of what He has brought forth. So many times in church history I've seen, and just in the, my time uh, in church, maybe that's 25, 30 years uh, since I've received the Lord. In this time, I have seen so many different moves, and every time we get, we get closer to the truth, but then we get tricked through legalism and law, where it's all about man again and what we must do for God instead of God through His Spirit coming and reigning and ruling and Him being the source of a brand new life where the responsibility rests upon God to bring forth a brand new life in us as we trust and believe upon the truth on what He has accomplished in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. So it's very important for me and I think this is the main thrust is the understanding of this message and the belief in this message brings stability to our hearts. It stops us from falling uh, to and fro with every wind of doctrine. It keeps us away from legalism. It keeps us away from living uh, full of the fruit of the flesh and it manifests what God wants us to have in this world free from our efforts. Now, when we look at the message of the resurrection, we don't find that it was basically known in the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant. You can go and read from Genesis onwards. It was not in plain text that there was something like a resurrection. And there are many people that argue and say that the resurrection is just something spiritual. It's not something physical. Now I want to come and I want to teach you that it is physical, that Jesus was physically raised, and that the end goal that God has is to have His justice served, which would be our resurrection, wherein even if we have died, we would be raised. And then the Bible says there will be people on the earth that when that day happens, they will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and they will not go through death to have this eternal life, but their bodies will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and they would have the same kind of physicality that Christ has, where they can be truly human, truly what God has dreamt for them inside a body that can never be tempted with sin and that can never die, eternally sealed with the life and the goodness of God. Amen. So, <clears throat> we don't see that message of the resurrection in the Old. And one might say, but Patty, why didn't the Old Testament people speak of that? Now, I believe that this message of the resurrection, if we go and look in the Old Testament, I think in um, Jeremiah 25, oh, Isaiah 25, we just find a little bit of the resurrection and then the of, of resurrection as we see it today. And then here and there, this mention of resurrection, but the Jews understood that as a healing of a city or the healing of a nation or the restoring of a nation. But Jesus Christ came and He revealed to us what resurrection truly is. 
In about 160 before Christ, we find the Maccabean Revolt. And what happened there was that there were uh, a group of people that forced the Jews and said to them, you are not allowed to have religious freedom. You cannot practice your religion. Then a man called uh, John Maccabee, his father, started a revolt and started to war against these oppressors. And after he died, his son took over and conquered and even conquered Jerusalem and ceremonially cleansed the temple again and then basically cut the deal with Rome that they could peacefully live there and practice their religion. In that time, in that time, the Pharisees was also really coming forth and they started to teach a teaching that talked about the physical resurrection from the dead. Not the restoration of a nation, not the restoration of a city, but the physical resurrection from the dead. This we can see when Lazarus was raised from the dead. When Jesus said to her that I am the resurrection and that, that and the whole context there was that Lazarus would be raised again in the resurrection. And then Jesus says, I am that resurrection. I've come to show you that resurrection. And then they were talking about physical death and the conquering there. And Jesus was siding with the logic of the Pharisees. And we even find Paul, a Pharisee, always defending and also defending the teaching of a physical resurrection wherein the end goal is not to leave the earth and have a disembodied soul that lives in heaven somewhere, but where the goal is Jesus that died and was raised and how that impacts our life and what the end of that would be. We need to realize that what Christ did in His resurrection is so powerful that it will affect the cosmos not just give you a blessed hope that you can go to heaven one day, but that it will actually affect the cosmos. We see in the Old Testament there was not a lot written about physical resurrection. We also find um, now in Jesus how this physical resurrection was declared and revealed and how it actually came to light. We find in 2 Timothy 1 verse 10 that um, life and immortality came to light through the gospel, which is Jesus that was raised from the dead. Now, many might say, Bertie, why such a focus on the resurrection? I see that in the last two years, you've spoken a lot about the resurrection. And then in the beginning of this year, I said, I am basically only going to talk along those lines. And you might say, Bertie, what is the significance of this resurrection? Like the one lady said to me, she came to do a recording at the studio here. She says, Bert, you know, I start to listen to your message on the resurrection. And the beginning I thought, well, Jesus was raised. That's good news, but what's the significance? I'm not really bothered so much about that. I do believe that, but that's not, I've got kids to raise and I've got things to do, you know, and I need a message of encouragement every day. And she said that as she continued to listen to this, she started to feel the power of it and the significance of it and now there's nothing else that she wants to hear and find the power of God in this truth. We need to realize that the resurrection of Jesus is such a major event that it changed history. It changes everything. It is the birth of something that never was and it will be the only thing and the only truth that would be standing 
forever, and from there, everything will find its life. Amen. Now, <clears throat> um, in the New Testament, now, what we have done in the church is we have substituted going to heaven with the message of the early church resurrection. You will find in the Bible, in the writings of Paul, in the writings of the apostles, very little said about going to heaven. It is written that there is a place where Paul said, I would rather depart and be with the Lord because it's more beneficial for me, which we can understand because he was beaten, he was whipped, he was kicked, he was many times came close to death, he was stoned, he was in a jail, many times in the heart of the jail, sitting in the feces, in his own feces and that of the other people that are jailed there, being jailed to a wall, just sitting there in that cold dungeon. We can understand that he said, it would be better for me to go and be with the Lord. And there is a small mention made of the afterlife, of what happens when we die. But we don't find a lot of that in the Bible. There's actually so little of it in the Bible that we cannot actually clearly say how it would look like um, in, uh, uh, when it comes to heaven and, and what happens when we die. We find that the Apostle Paul does talk about the afterlife and he refers to it as a sleep. Now the nature of that sleep is, uh, <clears throat> we can see it as a, some form of consciousness where Paul clearly says, I am with the Lord. It's where our lives are safely in the hands of God. Where like Jesus said, Father, my spirit or my life, I give over into your hands. And Jesus' life was in the hands of God and he died. And after he died, what did Jesus do with that life? He restored that life. He created a body that can actually maintain and hold and keep that life that was now in his hands. So we find that there is an afterlife, but what about what happens after that afterlife? And that is what Christianity is all about. It's about that resurrection. That is the big thing that came to the early church and that is what I want to speak about. The early church and all their definitions of hope and their definition of salvation was described by Jesus as being saved from sin and death when we could have eternal life. Now I'm going to start by um, this was the introduction and I want to go to the passage which is going to be our leading passage and we're going to go in the series through 1 Corinthians 15 verse by verse all of it up to verse 58 we're going to go through this verse by verse now this can take maybe five six ten sessions who knows but we're going to go through it and we're going to explain this because as this is settled in our hearts you will start to see the power of God manifesting much more in your life you will find peace come to your ver the very core of your being. You also understand so many scriptures uh, and it will just open up to you as you see this truth. Now, I want you to know, and let us just make this practical before we get into this passage, <clears throat> talking about the afterlife, because there might be so many people that are so scared and say, Bertie, you're just putting the focus on the resurrection. I thought 
the resurrection was, when I die, then I go to heaven. I thought that's the resurrection. Now you're coming to say that the resurrection is actually something that is greater than that and even after that. Like Tom Wright says, that the resurrection is actually the life after the life after death. So when we die, there is a life. But what the Bible talks about is that life after that life after you've died. Like my mom, she passed away in November. Where is she? Her life is in the hands of God. That is what the Bible teaches. That is what Proverbs also teaches. That's what Jesus said when he was on the cross. But that was not the end goal of God with her life. To have her as to have her disembodied. That is not what his plan was. His plan was not to have just her hand, her life in his hands. His life, his plan was that her life would be inside an immortal body, wherein she can, in this physical world, live his life and share in his quality of life. That was his dream. And I want to say to all of you that has lost loved ones and um, all those who died in Christ, I want to say to you that that is not the end of the story. Death is not the end of the story. There is a resurrection that will take place. It's like the one, one uh, science professor said, he said, it is <clears throat> almost like when our body, it's like a computer, when the hard drive packs up, the information that was on it, the software that was on that hard drive was downloaded into another hard drive. That would be like if somebody die, your life is now downloaded into heaven. And then a hard drive would be created that cannot crash. And then that software will be downloaded again onto that hardware to forever be like that, as God has dreamt from the beginning. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, <clears throat> um, I want to read from... 1 Corinthians here. So I want to say to you, those of you who has lost loved ones, their life is not lost. Their life is in the hands of God and that life will be fully restored. Why do we cry when we lose loved ones? Because what we see when we see their bodies die, when we, why do we go to doctors? Why do we want to save our physical life? Because of the inherent truth written in each one of us. It has always been God's dream for us to have eternal life. Amen. Now, we're going to look at uh, salvation and define salvation today. It says here in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, okay, what is he saying here? He says, I want to declare the gospel to you. That's what he's saying. And you are already in this gospel. You believe this gospel. And in the believing of this gospel, you will be saved. And it says there, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So what he's saying is, I want you to continue to believe the gospel I preached to you and not turn to another gospel, lest what we preached to you was in vain and will have no effect on your life. One thing we must realize is the dynamics of Christianity is 
as a person believes something, what he believes in shapes his life. So as we believe in an accurate gospel and understand that gospel, we will find much less effort and much more of God manifesting in our lives by His doing and not by our observance of the laws and rules and regulations or obligations and so forth. We will have much more peace as well. So it says here <clears throat> in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, now he's going to explain the gospel, the gospel, the message that saves, and we're going to then define salvation. It says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. So he says here that when he looks at the scriptures, he sees that the scriptures, when he was talking about all the sacrificial animals and all those things, was actually now referring to Christ and his death, how he died for our sins. And verse 4, And that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, as I said in the beginning, that the Old Testament people didn't talk a lot about the uh, physical resurrection. Why? Because they were blinded. They didn't understand. They didn't see. They, they, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were all very learned people, were arguing about the afterlife. The Sadducees said, there is no such a thing as an angel. There is not such a thing as a spirit. Even when you die, you are just nothing. And that is what it all amounts to. And that God will establish a kingdom in the earth with people and he will just if it doesn't work with this people group he's just going to use a next one and a next one that's the kind of thing that the Sadducees were all into but the Pharisees they started to see a little bit of light because they were in this war people died physically died and they were saying God will have vengeance and he will have his justice served and that would be our resurrection and then they had some form of a resurrection but idea, but their idea had a lot to do with, uh, with the Maccabean revolt and politics and all those kind of things. But then Jesus came and he declared and showed what this resurrection was actually all about. It was about conquering sin and conquering death free from our works so that his kingdom, his life, his peace, his joy can be in the earth by his doing where he is Lord and we are not Lord, where he is king, and we are not the king. Amen. So he says here that the scriptures spoke about this resurrection, and he declares the gospel as the message of the resurrection. Okay, it goes on, it says, and he now wants to put an emphasis on this resurrection. What is this resurrection? He says, and that he was seen of Cephas, then the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of time. For I am the least of the apostles, for I've persecuted the church. And now he just, in those two verses, jumps a little bit, get a little bit sidetracked there. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me and it was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than all of they, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Now, I want to just go back and I want to cut out verse, verse um, 
9 and 10. And just read from verse 7 right into 12. And you're going to hear something beautiful here. He says, After that he was seen of James, then of the twelve apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Verse 12, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, my wife and I, we were talking about this, and it is amazing that we grew up with this understanding. The understanding was not just dying and going to heaven, but the understanding was that there will be a resurrection, a manifestation, a form of physicality in this earth where there would be no sin and death. It has always been an understanding, even when we weren't saved. That was something that was in our minds. But as we go around and as we travel the world and as I go on to um, social media and speak to people, I find that that is not a focus. That's not the focus of most people's teaching. Most people's teaching revolves all around heaven and hell. Are you going to go to heaven today if you die? You know, that was never asked by the Apostle Paul, not even once in any of his writings, or Peter, or James, or John. Nowhere was it ever in the Gospels was it preached, who of you want to go to heaven? It was never preached. The the gospel was Jesus has conquered sin and he has conquered death and now he has brought to light eternal life and he grants you eternal life. Believe upon him and as you believe upon him, his spirit will enter you and that eternal life will belong to you and you would enter into his victory where he has conquered sin and death. And from there, the message of holiness was preached, wherein God is the source and the author of holiness in us, wherein God is the source of a brand new life in us. That is what was preached. And sadly today, I find that in a broad sense, the gospel, I mean, there's a lot of gospel being preached, good newses, good encouraging messages, messages of push through, it's not going to be that bad, keep on, uh, God is for you, is not against you, and, and those kind of things. It's preached. In messages of encouragement is preached. And it's good to encourage people, yet we cannot do that and neglect the gospel, the good news, which Paul came and he declared as the death of Jesus according to the scriptures, and then the very good news, the resurrection. Now we're going to go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and we're going to look at this. I want you to know that the resurrection that Paul spoke about was a physical resurrection. The end, of, the end goal of Christianity is the justice of God fully served is a physical resurrection. That resurrection in the form of its physicality was that there was no bones in the grave, and that, and that Jesus, and look at the emphasis of Paul, he says, we could see him. He says, Peter saw him. He, saw, he said, the twelve saw him. Then more than 500 people saw Jesus, of which most are still alive. Some has already died, but some were still alive. You can go to their houses and ask them and speak to them. They would tell you that they saw Jesus. 
Jesus came and he clearly explained his resurrection. And he said, touch me for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. A spirit, Jesus is not where he is today, a disembodied spirit. Neither is he a spirit. Jesus is a full human being. He is, we today as humans, we are human, but the fullness of true humanity has not manifested in us, for we are still, in some form or fashion, partaking of death in our lives. We are seeing certain things, certain shortcomings. But Jesus, if you want to ask yourself what a true human looks like, Jesus is that person. And that is your destination. And whatever is true in Him is already true in you, in the heavens, and the Spirit of God will take that truth and bring it forth in the life of the believer. That's why we need no law of Moses and all those things where we engage human willpower to try and access that life, but where it is an absolute gift unto us. Right. <clears throat> you guys will definitely have to go and listen to this message again. Uh, John 3. Listen to this. We're just going to look at um, John 3. I think I'm not going to get much further than John 3 today. But in John 3, we're going to look at what salvation is. Now, John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is what He has come and what He has said there. But what is the context of that? The context of John 3 is a guy called Nicodemus that came and asked Jesus on how to be born again. How can I have, a, he basically said, well he didn't ask how to be born again. He came and said to Jesus, Jesus, I know you are a teacher and that God speaks to you. Do you have something to say to me? Then he said to him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Jesus comes and he likens the new birth to the time when people rejected the manna in num Numbers 21, where when the snakes came and bit them, and there was a snake put on a pole, and when they would believe upon this, uh, and look on this snake with an intent to be healed in their flesh, and then the poison of the snake would leave their bodies, and those who looked on this, at the snake on the cross, or on that pole, would then not physically die anymore. They died later, the eight of the men, they still died later, but they were saved from that death of the snake. And that was a type and a shadow of what he was talking about. And that is the setting and the foundation of John 3.16. So let us now read from uh, verse 13. It says, And no man has ascended up into heaven, but he that comes down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And that is just a quote of Proverbs and a reference Proverbs 30 verse 4 there, for those of you who want to read it later. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Can you see how he is speaking to Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. He knew that story 
so well because they, back then the Jews rebelled and when they rebelled, then Jesus, then God came or fiery serpents came and bit them. That spoke, that, that now draws again on what was taking place in the Garden of Eden where they rebelled against God, didn't want to have the tree of life which God was giving them, listened to the voice of the serpent and when the voice of the serpent came to them, that poison of the serpent which was a belief system that says you can have eternal life by your works and that you will not surely die. When they, when they believed that, what happened? That death, that belief system entered them and what happened to Adam and Eve? They died. They died. They physically died. That is what took place there. And now Jesus is coming and he's addressing the problem that actually happened in the Garden of Eden, which was seen as a type and a shadow again in Numbers 21, where they did not believe, did not receive the manna, didn't want the manna. They said, this is light bread. It's nothing. It's almost like it cannot, it, 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 we want something heavier. We don't want this easy light bread. We want something heavier and likened or fulfilled in the type of the shadow. We want more work. We want more law. We want harder things to do. We want heavier, a heavier burden. And when they rejected the manna, what happened? Snakes came and bit them. A type and a shadow again of rejecting the manna and having the poison of the snake in their bodies. And what was this poison doing? This poison was killing them. This poison was destroying them. It was physically killing their bodies. Then God said to Moses, take a snake and put the snake upon a pole. That pole is where we get that medical cross from as well. Um, and also points to the cross of Jesus Christ wherein the snake was put on a pole, where that which, which brings venom and kills us was crucified, where Jesus conquered death and that which brings forth death upon the cross. So that what can take place? So that we cannot perish, but have everlasting life. What is this everlasting life? That which Jesus was risen up into which does not exclude our bodies. It includes our bodies. Amen. So what did Jesus conquer? He conquered sin in the flesh. That's why it is of utmost importance to believe on this physical resurrection of Jesus and know that your physical body is included in that because as you believe that, your heart opens up to the salvation of your body and the message of the conquering of sin in the flesh or the shortcoming in the flesh and you will find to see the fruit of the Spirit in your body now. Why? Because we are now embracing the message of victory over sin and death in a human body and that's why we can today see the fruit of the Spirit. Man, I don't know how to explain this more clear than what I'm doing right now. Let us just read it again and just see. As we read now, you've got to just see this more. It says, <clears throat> in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now think of that. Think why that snake was on there. It says, That whosoever believes in him should not perish. 
that perish there in the Greek means utterly destroyed or die, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting, everlasting life. So, He did not come into the world, verse 17 says, to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now, we're not in a hurry. We're just going to look at that word there. It says there that, the world through him might be saved. So if we take that word saved, Jesus defines salvation here. How does he define salvation? To be saved from death and to have everlasting life. This everlasting life, how is that defined? We can read what everlasting life is all about in John 6. I did it in the communion message before this, but here it says here, whatever lasting life is. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat the manna in the wilderness and are dead. What death is he referring to here? He's referring to physical death right there. Then he says, this is the bread which comes down from heaven. This is the true manna that a man may eat thereof and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, or believes in me, he shall live forever. And the bread which I will give him is my flesh that I will give for the life of the world. So what's the definition of life here? What's the definition of eternal life? Eternal life is put on display, vividly made known by the physical resurrection of Jesus. That is called the gospel, the very good news. What was the good news? And the good news can easily be seen next week. We'll touch on that. Jesus died. Now imagine when he was crucified and he died and then the message went around, Jesus is dead. That would be absolute bad news. But three days later, Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus casted seven devils, she went with a message from the grave and she said there, the grave of Jesus, tomb of Jesus, and she saw he wasn't there. He appeared to her. He spoke to her in her own language, called her name, Miriam. He said, he says, Mary, and she knew it was him. She ran to the disciples, told them, Jesus is risen. That was now what you would call good news. That is why Paul calls it the gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he also says that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for this gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from death, and whatsoever leads unto death. And should you have believed on this Jesus and this resurrection message, and you know that He's conquered sin and conquered death, eternal life belongs to you. And since you've got eternal life now in the bank, even if your body dies, since you have eternal life, justice will be served in your body, wherein your body will be raised up again into the full humanity, the full physicality, 
that God has promised from before time, what He had in mind for us from before the world began. Glory to God. That's the whole thing. We must just have eternal life. Hallelujah. How do we have eternal life? We believe upon what Christ has done. When we believe, what happens? There's a dynamic that that spirit of life enters us. And now that eternal life is now, the Greek word lambano, grabbed a hold of with a purpose to make, to make use of it. Okay, I'm ending off. <clears throat> when the snake was upon the cross, the Bible says that whosoever looked intently or with intent, intense, an intense look with intent at that snake, he would be saved from the poison of the snake. Okay, now, if you were, if your child was bitten by a snake or you were bitten by a snake, you, say you and your family, all of you, you were bitten by snakes, and now there's that pole in the desert with a snake on it, and you run to the pole, what would the intent be when you look at that pole? with a snake upon it. The intent would be salvation from death. That would the intent be. Now that is likened unto the word believe here. In verse 16 it says, let's read it again. It says, As Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes on him, should not perish. Remember back then in Numbers 21 it says, whosoever would with intent look, stare with an expectation at that snake there. What would happen to them? They would be saved from death. Now it says, when we can look at, the, at Jesus upon the cross and Him dying there, and we can say, in that death, death itself is dying. Death that is in me, that is taking me backwards, is dying right there. And as we look with that intent, we find when we see the resurrection of Christ and we look with that intent, what will happen? It says that whosoever believes, believes what? That they will not die but have eternal life. Now we know, many, many of, uh, I, I remember there was a group of people, and there's still a group of people preaching today that those who just continue to look at that, they will right now have immortality. I do believe, and as we continue in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see in what order these things are going to take place. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so um, the whole thing here is you're going to look with the intent to have eternal life. That is the intent. That is the purpose. That is what we grab a hold of. So the cross is not God punishing Jesus so that I can... Uh, legitimately stand before God that He doesn't have to punish me. No, that's not what the cross is all about. The cross was all about removing the poison that poisons us, conquering death, so that we can see in the resurrection a man that, that, that uh, uh, would not just represent, I don't want to use the word represent, I don't have an English word for that, but that would actually die as us that he would conquer death, that we can say, we can now see this life. So, those who look at the cross and say, I believe, now that eternal life, the resurrection, 
God's eternal plan that He had in the beginning with Adam and Eve, with this earth, with this planet. I am now a partaker of that. Eternal life is yours and you shall not perish, but you shall have eternal life. For God was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved from what? Saved means saved from death. That's the whole context here. And it finds its foundation in numbers. Amen. Glory to God. He that believes on him is not condemned. He that believes not is condemned already. So what he's saying is, those who don't believe is condemned already, just like the people with that snakes back then, who didn't look at that cross. The poison was already actively working in them, taking them to utmost destruction or perishing. But for those who looked upon it, that poison ceased. And as we see the poison cease in our life, we find the symptoms of the poison, which is hatred, bitterness, sexual immorality, those kind of things start to cease in our lives and we find the, the, the medicine, if you want to call it like that, starting to work in our life and we find love and kindness and generosity and so forth manifest in our lives. Glory to God. Well, I want to thank you that you've listened to this. I know it's theological, it is an in-depth teaching, but I trust as you open your heart and embrace this, you will just see more of what God has done for us. You'll understand the Bible better. You'll understand the gospel better. And you will see the fruit of God in your life. Let me just pray for you. Father, I want to thank you that I can stretch forth my hands to everyone that's watching. And I declare to you that you are blessed. You are loved by God. Death has been conquered. Sin has been conquered. You don't in your power have to get rid of your addiction. It has been conquered. Look with intent. See Jesus crucified, the death of the poison, the death of works righteousness, the death of the old man. See the resurrected Jesus. And I pray, Father, that these people will have enlightened minds to see the dimensions of your salvation and of your gospel so that we in this world can see what you can bring forth by your doing and not ours. I thank you, Father, that you stretch forth your hand to signs, wonders, and miracles, signs pointing to the fact that you were raised you raised Jesus from the dead. I declare to people that have got sickness in their bodies, healing over your body. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, lungs are being healed. Uh, cancer is healed. All forms of sickness. There are people, as many people as what they are, there's almost sicknesses in people's bodies. I declare healing to you in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are the healed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for watching and then I'll see you again next week. God bless.